I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. Building robots that can interact with the physical world involves a team of scientists, engineers, academics, and business operators. Sarah Wojcikowski, mechanical design engineer at Kindred, explains the types of problems that robots can tackle and current limitations. We talked about the components of mechanical design and how it's applied in robotics. Sarah explained how ideas are prototyped and developed for building robots. This show is brought to you by Pseudo Shirt, an online store featuring apparel designed by developers for developers. Pseudo Shirt features subtle designs that show your love for technology. Check it out by going to pseudoshirt.com. That's S U D O shirt.com. Thank you. Sarah Wojcikowski, mechanical design engineer at Kindred AI, is joining us today. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You work at Kindred AI doing mechanical design and engineering. First, I want to understand what is Kindred doing? Gotcha. So Kindred is an AI and robotics company. We build human-like intelligence into machines. We provide robotics as a service, so we're supplying companies with machines with no upfront capital costs, and we basically charge them per intelligent action. What that all means in terms of our current product called Sort is we provide e-commerce retailers like Gap a sorting service. We use various AI algorithms to evaluate unstructured environments, basically planning motion to pick items from one location, physically manipulate them, place them into an area where they can be sent out for shipping and delivery. And is this set up kind of like in a warehouse or something? Yes. So we, our robots operate in these fulfillment warehouses. So just to give you an idea of what our product looks like is uh, traditionally the warehouses have these, uh, what the industry calls a put wall. It's basically a wall of cubbies, little kind of shelves where, say, if you order a t-shirt and a pair of pants, your order goes into one of these cubbies before it gets packed out. So if you take that and kind of imagine a giant circle, it's about 10 feet across, stick an arm in the middle of it, that's what our system is, is we sort from the middle where we get all of these items inducted through various methods. Some of our customers use conveyors, others dump totes in just kind of chaotic mess of items, and then we sort them back out into their individual orders, into these cubbies. Can you give some examples of objects that are being grabbed and sorted? Absolutely. So our customers right now are retailers, so it's kind of clothing in what we call poly bags, which is just clothes in plastic bags, shoe boxes, lunch boxes, kind of just anything that you would buy. I mean, Gap is one of our major customers. Anything that you buy from Gap, we have to sort. Earlier, you mentioned that this company, Kindred, is doing two main things, artificial intelligence and robotics. You're focused on mechanical design and engineering. Can you explain what mechanical design consists of? Sure. So just to kind of, I guess, give you a top-down view so of our company, maybe that will help explain. We have our engineering team, which consists of our kind of AI research division, our software team, and what we call our robotics team, which is then split out from there to our robotics software team and our hardware team. I'm on the hardware side of things. So our software team handles the integrations to systems, the workflow, how items get from one place to another, 
the robotic software is the physical motion of that. So they help control the arm, they control our barcode scanners, kind of any peripheral that we have on our system. And then the mechanical team is the physical side of that. So our team basically builds the system or designs the system and then which consists of the cubby walls. We buy our arm off the shelf, so we don't actually build the arm, but we build the end effector, which is the gripper, which is a very interesting mechanical system in itself. We handle any new product features that customers need, say they need a new way to pack out things, um, different shelving. That's what we help handle. You mentioned that the big arm itself This company is not building it, but it's focused on one of the main components, which is the gripper. Can you describe what this is? Gotcha. So we've gone through different iterations of the grippers. The current one that we use is um, kind of, I don't exactly how to describe it, but it's got a vacuum on the end of it, two fingers that come in, they're pneumatically actuated, and they hold on to items as they manipulate them through our space. So the gripper is kind of, if you imagine your hand, that's what it is, is we're trying to create something that can pick a variety of objects. That's our current gripper. And then a huge kind of R&D development side of what we do is how do we make that better? What are different ways to grasp things mechanically? And what's the best methods to do that? Exactly. I want to talk a little bit more about that. You've worked on the redesign of an existing gripper. What is the motivation for doing a redesign? The motivation for doing a redesign is to kind of meet our specifications better. So we had an existing gripper in the field and we wanted to make it improve on it for our customers. So we kind of had our team identify where we could see the most improvement. For us, it's kind of our main metrics are, are we obviously want to be fast and quick uh, in sorting. We also want to be accurate in sorting. So you want to make sure like you're not obscuring the barcode when you pick things so that it can be scanned. And you want to make sure that you're only picking one item at a time so that you can know that you're not kind of creating errors in the system. So our motivation was that we wanted to be more accurate in our sorting and to be able to move slightly faster. So we wanted more power basically on our gripper. So the vacuum helps us singulate, helps us pick only one item. And then the pneumatically actuated fingers are a little bit stronger than our previous gripper. So we can move kind of at faster speeds without dropping items. Can you talk about the workflow for working on this redesign? For example, it sounds like at the beginning, it starts off with gathering some metrics and doing tests and things like that. Is that correct? Yeah. So I guess I can kind of break it down into five steps, maybe. There's first off, you need to start and identify your problem. That can either be finding a market need or, again, with us, it was based on our metrics. From there, you do um, kind of market research, see how other people are solving that problem, or if even if there's not an existing solution to your problem. And then you define specifications. So for us, we're looking at our customer's item set and saying we need to pick up this weight of an object. Their largest object is this size. So obviously we need to kind of fit those specifications. The third step is then you take those and you brainstorm. So you get everyone in a room and try and figure out different solutions. Some are crazy out there solutions that aren't possible and some are kind of minor tweaks that you can make to your existing product. From there, you take that, you plan your path forward and you go and you prototype. A lot of, probably a few months ago, we just spent hours a day just trying to grasp different items with different mechanisms that we had made. Um, they're all kind of this kid science project looking things, but eventually we determined 
that's the method that we want to use. Let's make this ready for production. Let's make it more robust. And then from there, we test on items in-house. We run it through cycle testing, make sure it will take impacts um, from the chaotic environment that we have. And from there, once we meet our specifications, once we're ready to go, then we deploy it to our kind of fleet of robots. What are some good materials that can be used for making prototypes like these in robotics? The easiest one to use is um, we have a bunch of 3D printers downstairs. They're probably the fastest for prototyping things quickly. It's They're super easy to use. So we use 3D printers a lot for our prototyping of plastics and polymers and things that don't need to necessarily be that strong. Obviously, when you're dealing with chaotic environments, sometimes your gripper takes impact, so you need a strong gripper. And from there, we'll just do quick turn metal pieces. So you're water jetting things, uh, you can machine little parts. Yeah, those are generally your kind of starting points. And then from there, when you're talking about more mass manufacturing of things, you move into different ways of creating either injection molding or casting for larger quantities. I see. And 3D printers have become more accessible and they give us an idea of how to manufacture something and we can just do it quickly. Do you know what could have been used if these 3D printers were not very accessible, how people were doing it before? It definitely was more of a design process before. As far as I understand it, I definitely grew up for learning in an age of 3D printers, Yeah, which has been great for me. <laughs> I think a lot of it, as far as I understand, was those kind of simple manufacturing processes. So you would have to plan more so you could machine what you're trying to do, kind of bent metal pieces, anything to give you an idea of what you're going to do, and then analysis behind that to create what you wanted to create. As far as I understand, it was basically a lot more planning involved where I can take an idea that I'm not so sure about, throw it on a 3D printer, see if it's going to work and kind of tweak and adjust from there. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It could have been planned more because it's more expensive to get it. And that also makes the process a little slower. I think 3D printers have really improved the speed at which we can prototype and turn out things, which has been great for us. Obviously, Kindred's a startup with a hardware component, and that's hard to do quickly. And I think that's something that we've really been able to do. And I mean, on a lower level, 3D printers do help with that. Yes, definitely. And like you mentioned earlier, you're currently exploring new technologies to improve this problem of grasping items. In general, what are some of the challenges robots face when it comes to grasping items? So just to give you an idea, we're in this kind of new space. Traditional robotics is automation. And what I was saying before, when you're kind of defining your specifications for things, they're very narrow. You have a very specific item that you're trying to pick, very specific path that it needs to go from place A to place B. You know that beforehand. And that's kind of it. So it's, it's very well defined. What we're doing right now is we're dealing with very unstructured environments. So the largest challenge for us is we have to pick up a large variety of things. I mean, if you can think about all the things you can buy online, it's massive. So we're trying to pick things, you know, as small as an eyeliner pencil to a shoebox to something even larger than that. And if we want to do it all with one system, we have to create the solution that can do all of those things. So that's, I think, is our biggest challenge is working with kind of these undefined requirements and planning for things that we don't necessarily know until we try it out. I see. And just taking a step back to your time at Kindred, initially you started as a pilot on the operations team. Can you explain 
what the operations team consists of? Sure. So our operations team kind of helps us run everything. Specifically, what our pilots do is um, we obviously have our AI algorithms, but again, it's a chaotic, dynamic, unstructured environment. So it's constantly changing and the robots, as much as they can learn, are going to see situations they've never seen before. And that's when the pilots jump in. They kind of give it the extra help that it needs and allow the robot to learn from that experience so the next time it can move forward. Is this a more close collaboration with the software side of the robot? I would say so. They have um, an interface that was created by our software engineers. And I mean, we also work directly with the pilots. They have the most kind of vision into the day-to-day operations because they get to see the edge cases that the robot can't handle. And they give us a lot of information from there additionally on the mechanical side of what we could improve on to help those situations. So you mentioned this team, this area, it's focusing a lot on allowing the robot to learn new things throughout your exposure to robotics and mechanical engineering. In general, what types of tasks are robots very good at? In general, robots are extremely good at repetitive tasks, defined tasks. Again, the traditional automation going from point A to point B, picking up something that you know exactly the orientation you're going to get it in and manipulating it through the space and doing what you need to do. So robots are very good at that. Obviously, they can work 24-7 and that's what we've seen them traditionally used for. What about the things that they're currently not so good at? that for us humans are super easy things to do. They are not so good at new things, things they haven't seen before. So that's again where our kind of AI and our RL team come in is they help these robots to learn. So for instance, if you're trying to define, say the best way to present the barcode to a barcode scanner, the fastest way, we can try and define that through testing. The RL team can do that by teaching the robot and it can teach itself to create the best method. And in the area of grasping objects, which is what we were talking about earlier, what I can imagine is with maybe recognizing pieces of clothing, if they're folded a certain way or in a certain position, maybe it doesn't know what they are, but but I don't, I don't really know. I just think it it's a challenge to how the object can be perceived depending on the state of the object. Definitely. There's, um, I mean, we get everything from winter coats to kind of small swimsuits you know it's it's a completely different environment every time as well we've even run tests where just based on how you dump something in the environment changes so even though it's the same items they're presented differently we've done some experiments on how can you identify the barcodes you know again making sure that you're not obscuring them when you go to scan an item so that's where kind of the machine vision and everything comes in is identifying those objects as well as you can to give yourself the best grasp candidates Um, And then from there, plan the motion to pick those up. Yeah, back in college, when I took a robotics class, I remember this example that it's so easy for humans to do, which it involves cleaning a hotel room, just folding the sheets and that kind of stuff. And for the robot, it's like super hard to do that kind of work. Yeah, especially if, I mean, the towel is not presented to the same like way every time, say it's on the floor yeah. versus on the bed versus hung up. How do you deal with how you're getting those initially? Exactly. But I think we'll get there at some point in several years. Yeah, I hope so. Let's talk about the design process in, in just to get a general overview of, of what it involves. What are the components of creating a mechanical design? Where do you begin? You begin, again, by identifying a problem, identifying a need. 
So we do have a product team who really help us with that part of it. They're the ones who are defining what the customer wants. We're a very customer focused company. And so that's generally where our requirements come from is they need a certain speed, a certain accuracy. They need new features uh, to help improve their workflow. So that's generally where we start is what's the need. From there, our product team helps us define a spec. Again, how much weight do we need to pick up, size of objects, kind of making sure that it's not going to get damaged on the way. And then from there, we brainstorm and figure out best solutions, prototype from that brainstorm, test, and then the engineering process always involves improving. So from your tests, you see failure points, you see things that maybe didn't work as you intended them to, and so you go and you redesign and you continue to test until you reach a solution that you think is viable. What about the tooling and technologies that you use? Earlier, we talked about 3D printers, but do you also in the process just you know use pencil and then move to a computer software for designing? Yeah, so generally those brainstorming sessions do involve us all kind of drawing on paper and whiteboards and all of that. Pretty bad drawings and pretty poor drawing myself. But we do use 3D software. So CAD, basically I'll 3D model something that I want to do, which is why the 3D printers are so great is I can just upload that model to the printer and have it print immediately versus if I'm trying to send it out to a machine shop somewhere, I then have to generate a drawing of some sort so that they can understand what I need to be made so they understand my tolerance needs and all of that. So there's just kind of an extra step when I have to take something out of house. Uh, if I'm making it myself, I can just kind of cut it, mill it here, but that takes more time. So sometimes it's easier to send it to the machine shop around the corner. Once you make a prototype and the prototype is evaluated and you design decide to move forward, how do different material options get evaluated? And this doesn't have to be specific to how Kindred does it, just in general in this field. What are some of the things that you look for when evaluating materials? Gotcha. So typically first you're looking at your loading scenarios. So for us, you know, you have to pick up a certain weight, what can handle that. Also, if say you were to collide with something, you need to resist that collision, make sure that your item's not breaking. So again, based on the strength requirements, there's kind of four different categories of materials. You have metals, polymers, which is plastics, ceramics, and composites. And so metals are typically your strongest, so you start there. Uh, things that you don't need to be as strong can be polymers, because generally plastics are cheaper. And so that's kind of how you make your decisions is based on your specification requirements and then cost as well. I see. And in college, did you also focus in this area of mechanical design and mechanical engineering? Yeah, so I went to Tufts University in Boston. I majored in mechanical engineering, so this has been something I've been interested in a while. I grew up loving to kind of take things apart and put them back together. So when I got to college, that was what I wanted to study. So I took mechanical engineering, which starts off kind of the same as all the other engineers. You take chem and you physics and all of that. And then as you get older, you kind of focus more. So my senior year is when I really got into robotics. I took our advanced robotics course and absolutely loved it. So that's kind of why I decided to go this path when I found Kindred. It sounded like exactly what I wanted to be doing. And I'm just a little curious, what were some of the things that you used to like taking apart? I used to be a camp counselor actually at a local museum and we had um, a gadgets and gizmos camp that I ran. So I love Rube Goldberg machines. 
are we used to do basically like these massive marble runs with the campers and I would always have a side project on my own. I loved building those. They're so like they're absolutely pointless but super fun to make. And then I love playing with Legos and all of that. I mean just kind of generally what you would imagine. I love playing with <laughs> things like that. Exactly. And I just want to understand in your school, did you have access to these tools that you currently use, for example, 3D printers and stuff like that? Yeah, so at my school, we had a full machine shop, so I had access to mills, lathes, bandsaws, and all of that. Uh, we had a laser cutter, we had 3D printers. So, I mean, you're required to take a class in the machine shop. Uh, you have to learn how to use those tools. Mm -hmm. So I did that. And then again, as you get older, you become a little more autonomous. You can use those tools on your own. I remember our senior year, I mean, basically all your classes are project-based. So all the mechanical engineers are in there as, <laughs> as soon as they can be um, after classes are over and you spend hours in the machine shop just trying to make things work. That sounds great. And in terms of software development, Is this also a component of mechanical engineering and mechanical design? There's definitely a part of it. I would say day to day in my job, I don't use the software skills that I do have very often. A lot of it's for analysis. Um, you kind of use that to do complicated math so that you don't have to. Kind of more simpler programs like MATLAB and um, stuff like that. Well versed in LabVIEW, which is a kind of instrumentation software. It's used in a lot of lab settings. So we do use that at a base level, kind of before we drag our software team down our fun explorations, we need to be able to control the motors on our own. So we'll use simple softwares to do that, to make sure that we have a functioning product before we turn it over to them so they can integrate it into our software stack. Yes, and I'm actually curious about that interaction because at the beginning you mentioned Kindred, there's sort of two main branches, software, which is about other types of systems used and then the other branch is robotics and in that one there's hardware and robotic software how closely do they need to collaborate in the development of a prototype and a new design the software team and the hardware team definitely very closely we have our mechanical team and our robotic software team I mean we work right next to each other uh, we work downstairs where we have all of our test systems all of our robots running and Obviously, if what we're making isn't going to work for them, then there's kind of no point in us making it. So our job is to create the best tools for our robotic software team and our software general team. So, I mean, we'll work extremely closely with our robotic software team when we're developing these new grippers to make sure that the actuation methods are something they can control, something that's going to work for them. When you're working with a robot, you need to create something that works in the space of the robot. So if it's too large, The robot will collide with it. It won't be able to manipulate as well. There will be a lot of failed um, paths. Like it won't be able to reach certain places just because of its end effector. So that's something we work closely with them is the packaging and making sure it's small enough that they can do a range of things with it as they're planning their paths and all that. Well, Sarah, thank you for coming on the show. It's been great talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for talking to me today.